One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. frequent watchers of the Bundesliga or La Liga on ESPN this season, there's one unmistakable voice that you'll grow fond of, and that's that of Mark Donaldson, who carries around his famous Scottish accent calling games that feature Borussia Dortmund, Bayern Munich, Barcelona, Real Madrid. He's become a mainstay for American watchers of those leagues. So today we're going to circle back to a talk that I had with Mark Donaldson back in 2021 where you just kind of get into the ins and outs of his career. Now, this is part of our show-and-tell series, so if you haven't seen that over on YouTube, I do encourage you all to go over to the World Soccer Talk YouTube channel to check that out. But we are going to circle back to the audio version today. We're just going to talk about Mark's career, how he got into calling games, his passion for hearts, and really just his his relationship with Paul Mariner, who he was very fond of before he passed away. So I'm going to throw it back over to Kyle from the past, and we're going to get into that conversation with Mark Donaldson. And uh, thank you all for listening, and hope you all have a great day. So thank you. Just uh, jump right into it. If you uh, could, Mark, could you just uh, kind of give a background on yourself, uh, who you are, where you're from, and what you do every day in the soccer media or just for ESPN in general? Yeah, well, in the in the soccer media, I've been a commentator since 1996, simply because the colleague who I was working with at Radio Fourth and Edinburgh forgot his spectacles and couldn't see. So I commentated on Hearts against Porto, and the rest is history. It was a preseason friendly, and it's it's led me to Connecticut more than goodness knows how many years later, doing a job that I love. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I mean. Everyone knows that accent, so definitely from from Scotland. Uh, how is it different living in the U.S. compared to Scotland? Do you miss certain parts of it? Are uh, are there some things that are better here? Or, you know, just like the the general vibe of the states compared to Scotland. Well, I really miss going back to Scotland. I've not been home for two and a half years um, since I went to see my team Hearts play Celtic in the Cup final in 2019, just as a fan. So that's been tough, not not seeing my parents for that length of time. But what hasn't been tough is that anytime I do go back, I always get told, oh, you sound like Sheena Easton, that mid-Atlantic accent with the American twang. Um, you're a St. Pete's boy, you're a Florida boy. I got your accent wrong because I thought you were from the northern part of the United States, but I didn't hear you say about, um, because then it would have given it away if you were from the north. But when I do go home, you get the abuse. It's just your pals being your pals and, and having a right go. So I've not missed that, but I'm delighted to, to see I'm going home for the first time in, in two and a half years um, next month um, to see my folks. It's funny, Kyle, I say I'm going home. Um, this is home for me now. I've been here 11 years. I'm a United States citizen. I'm also a British citizen as well. Um, but no matter where you're from in the world and where you end up in the world, there's always that little place called home. And, and, and for me, home might be here in Connecticut, but the real home, and it always will be, I suppose, 
is Edinburgh and Scotland. But before we get into more about the soccer stuff, I want to ask you about uh, about Capsoff and your, sure. your experience with baseball and sports outside of soccer. I would assume that being from Scotland, soccer was always your, your first passion. And uh, I know you're a fan of hearts, but you are obviously very involved in baseball and tennis coverage. Can you kind of talk about how you got into that world and what that's meant to you? Yeah, um, being from the, the UK, football was obviously the main thing. And I was a football commentator for, for many years. But I got made redundant um, in 2008, Christmas Eve. I didn't know what I was going to do from a radio station in, in Edinburgh called Talk 107. And I went freelance the following week. Um, I'd already written uh, a couple of books, a couple of books about hearts, because I've always felt when you get the opportunity to diversify in the industry that, that we're in, it's very difficult to just be that one guy or that one girl that does that one thing. Because ultimately now, if you can do three or four things for the same price or the same cost that that one person does that one thing, I know where your bosses are, are going to be looking at. But you've got to be careful. You don't become jack of all trades and, and master of none. So you've got to have a, a kind of limit to, to what you do. So I went freelance. Um, I, I struggled with timekeeping because you want to take on everything because you're frightened to say no. But if you don't take on something, then someone else might get it. But your home life can suffer because you never see your family. So that can be difficult. Um, but the, the the baseball aspect of things came about in that I was just what they were looking for in the, well, I'll tell you a story about that in a second, but I wasn't the expert. We had an expert. I was, I was a Brit with an interest, a keen interest in a sport without being an expert. Um, initially, um, one of my former bosses came to me and said, do you know any good looking young Brits that are interested in baseball? I said, well, not really, but what about me? And after <laughs> many screen tests, um, I, I got that gig. I am what I am. I, I like a laugh in, in commentary. To a point, I think it's, it's still a serious business, but you've got to you've got to try and make the people entertained that are watching it. We are just an accompaniment, and it gets frustrating at times that sometimes there are certain commentators, and thankfully I think they're in the minority, and I'm not going to name any names, that want to be the star. But most of us don't want. We're just the accompaniment. We're the, the captain of the ship. We just ensure it goes the right way, whether it's the person alongside us or whether it's the game itself. There's many other facets to that. So. I'm self-deprecating. That's what I am. I like a bit of a bit of good humor. Um, I always go into it uh, as well prepared as I can be with the key caveat that I know what I don't know. And when it comes to baseball and to an extent tennis, if we're covering something that your average supporter or your average fan watches 24-7, 365 days of the year, we don't. We can dip in and out. So we've got to know what we don't know. So don't guess. Don't pretend you know. So whether it's tennis, which having done the commentary again at the US Open this year for the 11th year in a row, tennis is interesting because it's a sport that the commentator only commentates when there's no action taking place because you shouldn't really talk during a point. So that kind of started way back in uh, 2001, I think it was, when I covered the National Tennis Championships in Telford. And I was commentating on, on one of my good friends at the time, a guy called Nick Lester, who's now one of the best TV commentators for, for tennis. I didn't know it at the time. Um, worked with him over the years and told him my first tennis gig was in 2001 and I was commentating on him. So it's funny how, how things work in this in this kind of world that, that we live in. But ultimately, when I, when I deviate away from the sport I know best, football or, or soccer, the key thing for me is knowing what I don't know. Mm -hmm. So now we're going to jump into the, the things you may have brought uh, 
So what did you bring? What's the first thing apple that you juice. brought to? Oh, other, <laughs> other than yeah. apple juice, something maybe other a little than, more soft related. <laughs> okay, so we're going to start with this thing here, right? So mm -hmm. I'll show you the patch on the sleeve. It's a FIFA World Cup Germany qualifying top Scotland um, when they played against Italy in the qualifiers. So this is Paul Hartley's. I think you can see two mark best where she's. Paul Hartley. The story behind that goes as follows. I was working at Radio Forth at the time, and I got a call um, from Paul. Right, don't tell anybody this, but I need you to help me. I'll see what I can do. What is it? He said, I need a pair of tickets for M people because I'm, I'm, I love Heather Small, who was the lead singer. <laughs> no wonder you don't want me to tell anybody. He goes, no, no, see, see what you can do. So I asked a good friend of mine, Scott Wilson, who's the He's a brilliant guy who was the drive time host at Radio Forth in Edinburgh where I worked. He's now and has been for many years the voice of hearts. He does the the Hanoi announcements, the public address system. Phoned him and he's like, e honestly, I, I could ask for two tickets to the the Oval Office in the White House, and he'd find a way somehow um, to to get me in by hook or by crook. So he's like, I'll sort that out. So he did. He did. So um, next time I was up at Hearts. Um, I got told, uh, I think by the manager, whoever said, there's something for you at reception, whatever. So I went after the press conference and, and picked up, and it was this. It was, it was Paul Hartley's Scotland top, and just had a note saying, cheers, big man. Um, and I waited maybe five or six years before telling that story, but I think now that he's out of football and not so much in the dressing room as a player, he's, he's now doing a decent job as a, as a coach. I can tell that story now, but that's my first one. And... Um, that was the qualifying campaign whereby we came so close. Um, we, we, we had to face Italy on the final day, knowing we needed a, a win to get through to the World Cup in, in Germany. And I was working freelance for Talk Sport at the time, and I, as I have been doing since, since kind of 2007. And this was just before that. And I was working with, in fact, I'm, I might even have kind of totally deviated off the subject here because... This might have been the Italy game whereby it was the following. No, I think I'm right. I think it was the Italy campaign that we nearly qualified for. But anyway, I was doing a, I was doing a game with Alan Brazil at, at Hamden, and um, and he disappeared at halftime um, because he had to go for a, a liquid lunch date with Rod Stewart in the uh, in the centre of, of Glasgow, where he'd already been, and um, he wanted to to get the uh, he wanted to get there first and wait for Rod Stewart on the way back. Um, that's his story, but yeah, there's there's a lot of, there's a lot of kind of stories behind things that I have, um, how I got them, and and whatever. But I'm I never like kind of oh can I have? I want to be able to kind of give in return for 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 getting. There have been one or two that I've just been offered, which which is nice. But that's the first thing that I've kind of brought. And now I have to try and remember if it was the qualifying campaign where we came so close under Alex McLeish, or it was a previous one. I tell you what it was. I think it was the, the Euros that we came so close to qualifying in 2008. That was for the World Cup. The same story applies. It was the M people tickets in Glasgow that we were able to get for the Scotland midfielder, Paul Hartley. Gotcha. Yeah, let's, uh, we can it's, snap back to uh, yes. know, the actual topic. Uh, did you bring anything else? Uh, anything yeah, else that would be interesting? This is, um, this is a, a Hearts jersey from, from 1980. It's actually from 84. But the jerseys, the 1985 jerseys didn't come in time, so they put a big patch on it. But it was worn by John Robertson, who was a hero of mine growing up. John's like five foot five, and I used to wear this as pajamas um, going to bed. That would now fit my three-year-old daughter, uh, because John wasn't the biggest. It was probably a, a, a medium. 
Um, but that's just a kind of nod. And you, you see the material. Um, take this back again. You look at the inside and, and the material. It's like toweling and, and everything like that. I mean, back in the day, people who played football, um, it, the breathe right material and the dry fit didn't exist. These are pretty heavy uh, to wear. When that gets um, hot and sweaty and soaking wet, that couldn't have been too comfortable. So that, that's the second one. Speaking of which, if you don't mind kind of going on to this one here, um, this is, um, we're going back to the Italy theme again. This is a Scotland away jersey from 1964 when they played Italy in a World Cup qualifier. And this was given to me by my uncle, um, Ali Donaldson, uh, who, if you don't mind, I can just go up here. I don't know if you can see this. That's fine. Let's just tilt this up. Uh, buh -buh. Hold on. You know what? It's up there. It's right at the top. Okay. Um, so he played for Dundee in the semi-final of what is now the Europa League in 1968 against Leeds. And um, he, he gave me, he gave, I have no use for this. I didn't even know what it, what, what kind of where it was from, if it was a training top or whatever. But it came from a coaching course that he did in the early 80s after he'd retired. Uh, he used to play for Dundee and he played many games. And what they used to do with the old Scotland jerseys, they just kind of gave them to the, the coaches because uh, they only had one. It's not like you change at halftime or, or whatever. It's an old umbral one. And that's what, 57 years old. So that, that, I've kind of got that in my family with my uncle having played in goal. Um, my father and my mother took me to my first Hearts game in the, the early 80s. So there's your Hearts and, and, and there's your Scotland. So that's, I've got one left after this, but that's your, your kind of three football tops. I've got so many others, um, but that's the kind of three that, that have a story that I wanted to kind of explain. Yeah, I was going to ask, uh, you got some jerseys or, or tops that are framed, like the one that's on your right and the one, on mm -hmm. your, obviously, in the, in the Scotland one you just showed, but then you have other jerseys behind you that are, are not framed. Is there like a distinction as to why some are framed, some aren't, or are there some jerseys that you like looking at more or they go away or something? Yeah, I mean, I, I, would, I would love to, to frame them all. I'm just going to, this is not very technical, but those <laughs> there, I've got the Pele jersey. Um, lucky enough to meet Pelle when, um, again, go back to Giovanni Savarese. Uh, he was coach of the Cosmos before he went to Portland. And Pelle used to, hopefully his health gets better. He used to go to the, the kind of first game of, of the season with the Cosmos. Uh, so I was invited down to that one by Gio. And the other one is Mario Kempes, a 1978 signed jersey because Mario is a, a former colleague. Mm -hmm. well, I say former colleague. He is a colleague, but he's now moved down to, to Florida. So anytime if you watch Deportes, and you hear Mario with Fernando, who lives up here, um, they are doing it, um, Fernando being the studio, Mario is doing it from home. And I now have experience of from-home commentary, having done it for the first time via a box, a little device called uh, Kizway is the whole thing. That's a Motu, M-O-T-U box, a commentary box, which um, we do because if facilities aren't available at ESPN, if it's a busy day with college football or whatever, we have a producer in their house, and we will do the game from our house. Yeah, when you covered Syria in Italy, did you ever go to those games, or were those all done in the booths at ESPN in Connecticut? Yeah, we did Roma Juventus uh, 2019, I think it was May 2019, um, from the from the stadium. Um, which it, 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 we would have liked to have done an, an earlier game. Again, facilities and logistics were weren't easy. Um, as far as picking a game is concerned, because ideally you would like a title win or whatever. But that's when you've got to arrange for as many things as that, 
you can always do a game and it's in the first two or three weeks of the season. Like, for example, we did La Liga. We had a full uh, team on site for the first game of the season that we did, Barcelona. And we did commentary of, of Real Madrid the day before, away from home. But yeah, I've done a few games on site. But again, as I said, with regards to doing a game from home, I don't say that I'm in the stadium or anything like that. In the stadium, I think I'm not, I'm not going to go, we're here, because a commentary should be a commentary regardless. All I'm in the stadium, I'm, I'm able to see um, a, a kind of wider periphery, whereas I can see what you can see when we're, when we're doing a game on site. Uh, sorry, when we're doing a game in the studio. But if we're doing a game on site, you don't preach the fact that you're there um, more than you would if you're not there. I think you've got to kind of keep a, a level kind of playing. If you see something, you say something. But you don't say, because I'm here, I can see that. You don't want to make it too obvious. But again, it's totally subjective what viewers want from their commentator. Some people might say, well, a lot of the time there, there's in vision. We were in vision. Um, we did an intro to that game from trackside at half time. We were on camera at full time. We did a, an on camera wrap. That's enough. People can see we're there. We don't need to make reference to it all the time because what it's doing is referencing the fact that why are we only here for this one and not doing the rest? Yep. All right. Well, uh, we can uh, go into that that final thing you brought if you want. Uh, we can wrap up with that. Yes, yeah, so it's a couple of things here. And funnily enough, this is the fifth-year or five-year anniversary of the launch of Stevie Nichols' book, um, The Liverpool Legend. Get to that in a minute. This is the first one I did, which is called Believe from Turmoil to Triumph at Tynecastle. It's a story about when George Burley was the manager and was unbeaten in the first 10 games. Um, the owner sacked him. The owner was a, a crazy Russian-Lithuanian <laughs> megalomaniac who was annoyed that he didn't get all the praise and the manager was getting all the praise. So I kind of wrote a, a wee expose and I was good friends. There's Paul Hartley on the front, um, whose jersey it was. It's called Believe because that's the, the, the name on the back of the, the T-shirt when we qualified for the Champions League um, preliminary stage. We didn't get through to the group stages. But the forward is by Stephen Presley, who was captain at the time. And he it got a fair bit of publicity because he came out and said, regardless of who the owner is, it should be the manager that picks the team. And he got in trouble for that. That was after he had an impromptu press conference with Paul Hartley and Craig Gordon, the Scotland goalkeeper, who's still at Hearts, where they came and had a rant. And ultimately, all three never played for the football club again. Um, after a few months, they, they got rid of him. Um, the whole idea behind the owner coming in and buying the football club was with Lithuania being a part of the European Union at the stage, having just been admitted, he saw it as a platform to showcase all the Lithuanian players, sell them, make millions, and then disappear again. I think he's now on the run in Chechnya or whatever. He left a sorry mess at Hearts, um, and we went into administration. Thankfully, we're now fan-owned. Um, there's 8,000 of us that all pay money every month um, to the football club, which I love, um, and we're doing all right. This is the second one. Five years ago, this was launched. Stevie Nicol, my autobiography. Five league titles and a packet of crisps, i.e. a packet of chips, because Stevie Nicol was a fantastic footballer with the worst diet in the world. <laughs> and it's a, it's a play on a, a UK sitcom, two pints of lager and a packet of crisps. And most of it is about off-the-field activities, what he got up to, the fun that he had. He was the butt of so many jokes, but he could take it. And plus a hell of a lot of achievements in one of the greatest, I think, British teams that we've ever seen, um, the Liverpool of the, the early 80s. Um, there's been a lot of really good teams, but Liverpool have got to be mentioned in that conversation. So... 
that's two of the three books I've written. The next one, um, which I've done, which I'm sure is going to be my last because of the, the emotional attachment, Paul Mariner's autobiography. Sadly, Paul lost his life from um, glioblastoma, brain tumor, um, a couple of months ago. And it was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Um, but I got there and I just wanted it to be a legacy. And it comes out hopefully end of October, start November. Um, Paul Mariner's autobiography. Um, my rock and roll football life, I think it's called. And I just want it to be a legacy for, for his family and something that, as well as the memories they have of dad or partner or um, son, because uh, his mom's still alive, I want it to be something that they can look back on and go, yeah, my, my boy or my dad or, or whatever achieved a hell of a lot in football. Um, but like Stevie's book, because the pair of them were together at New England Revolution, there's a bit about football. But most of it is just stories about fun and daft things that they did. I mean, some of the stuff um, with the goalkeeping coach at New England Revolution, they gave him a 10-yard head start in a race. Um, and then Taylor Twelman and the rest of them were on the sidelines cheering on, go on, you're, you can do this, you can do this. He was the only one that was running because they didn't bother running in behind. They just videotaped this overweight <laughs> goalkeeping coach um, who had gout at the time and could hardly walk, but he, he was desperate to win this race. He was the only person in the race. That was them. They, their whole environment, Stevie Nichol and Paul Mariner, was about fun, players enjoying it. You ask any of the players they had at the Revs, and I'm sure the majority of them, those that they picked on a regular basis, would say how much fun it was. It was difficult for Paul when he went up to Toronto. Um, that was a tough one. But it was also tough for the book not really being able to speak to Paul because of the radiotherapy and the chemotherapy attacking his kind of his memory so it's about him it's his life story but a lot of it is told by others including Jurgen Klinsmann from their time together at Toronto it's got a forward by Ian Gillen of Deep Purple one of his best friends and some of the stories there just as well social media wasn't a thing back in the day because I'm sure a lot of them might have uh, had to make a phone call from jail cells to get themselves out of that after a night uh, on a bender but just that's the way it was yeah, I'll, uh, I'll wrap up with this. You talk about how a lot of those books is just them having fun, and that's not necessarily on the field stuff. Um, I mean, people might say like their greatest achievement was winning the Champions League World Cup or calling a major game like that. But I want to ask you, as a commentator, what is, or at least uh, someone in the media industry, what is the most fun you've had? And this is keeping it in the world of soccer. As a commentator, a game that I've done or, or somewhere uh, that I've traveled? Yeah, a little bit of both. It could be like uh, I really enjoy going to this country or I went to a great game just between like just two Premier League teams or something like that. Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite games was Newcastle Barcelona. I didn't commentate on that one. It was just as a fan. One of my, um, I think it was my first girlfriend was from Newcastle and, and I went to see that game, Tino Espria scoring a hat-trick in the Champions League group stage, which was a, a night I'll never forget. As a Hearts fan, winning the Cup 5-1 against our rivals, Hibernian at at Hamden, but I think doing what I've, I, I've kind of done and, and growing up, I, I've, I've done some Rangers and Celtic commentaries, in fact, quite, quite a lot over the years, but the teams that I covered on a weekly basis were from the East Coast of Scotland, and when they qualified for Europe, we got to go to places, <laughs> you're not starting in group stages of European competitions, you're starting before the previous year's tournament isn't even finished yet, mm -hmm. it's that early. So trips to Sarajevo, to Mostar, to Reykjavik, to Liechtenstein, 
to places you wouldn't know. Where do you want to go today? Oh, let's go to Vaduz and Liechtenstein. You're not going to say that. So just getting to see these places and getting to commentate from, from stadiums like that where it's not show up and everything's done for you. It's there's, there's, there's 10 bucks or 10 whatever the local currency is to the local engineer to make sure the power is switched on. That's, that's proper football. That's grassroots football. And you've got to, ha- you've got to take the, the bad with the good. And I think you appreciate the good more if you've had the bad, if you've had the rough times, the things that didn't quite work, you find a way to make them work if you can. And that makes you stronger um, going forward. So, of course, we'd all have something in the past in our, in our work, whether it's me broadcasting or whatever, that maybe didn't go according to plan, but it's how we react to that. There's going to come a time where my three-year-old daughter barges in as I'm doing a Bundesliga or a Spanish game <laughs> or, or something and goes, Daddy, I need, I need a pee-pee or something like that. But that is what it is. That's modern-day life in media. It's not what we would hope for. We want to be in stadiums. We want to go to cities. We're starting to get back there now. But we just have to adapt. And you know what? I wouldn't say it's a job. I think this is a hobby, what we do. So if adapting is what we have to do to make sure that we have this hobby and a continuation of, of working in a hobby, then that's, that's good enough for me. Just don't take anything for granted because you never know if it's going to be your last. Very true. I mean, it's a, that's a great way to wrap it up, Mark. Uh, yeah, you've got a lot of editing to do as well, Kyle. That's so all right. It's all good on. stuff. <laughs> and keep, keep going with the website because it's a, it's a great um, source of information. Um, you, Chris, and, and Kartik, the weekly podcast as well is, is a must for me. I, and it's nice to hear your own name. I, don't, I say I don't care whether it's a negative or a positive thing. I think everyone deep down cares. But if you do get, uh, uh, whether it's negative or constructive comments, which Chris and Kartik and, and some of the guests um, give because they're, they're honest as the way they want to be, I don't see that as a bad. I think, okay, well, if that's what they think, then you think, well, is that what I'm doing? And if it is something that you didn't know was a fault of yours and they have picked up on that, then then I think that, that that's a good thing. So I love the honesty of the podcast and, and good luck to you going forward as well because uh, you've got a super guy um, and Chris Harris and, and Kartik to work with as well. So fingers crossed, this is just the start for you too. Yeah, we appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.